God can choose at any moment to override and overcome the resistance of all the forces of hell to crush them if he chooses. Instead, he allows them to endure for his own purposes, to accomplish his own ends. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom concludes his current series titled The Spiritual War Behind World History. In Daniel 10, our Lord pulls back the curtain and allows us as Christians to see what's really happening in the spiritual war that rages all around us. It is a war that affects our individual lives. It is a war that happens all across the world. But it is a war that Christ Jesus our Lord has ultimately won. As Christians, our confidence is in the fact of the Word of God's teaching that Christ will return to this earth and He will crush all His enemies beneath His feet. And it's an amazing truth that God uses the events of this world and the spiritual beings behind them to accomplish that very purpose. In today's message, Tom explains how you can and should trust God and His sovereign rule over history. Let's join Tom now as he opens God's Word on The Word Unleashed. Miller writes, The struggle involved all of the decisions and relationships pertaining to the Jews during the Persian period. For example, the reconstruction of the temple, deliverance for the Jews during the time of Esther, permission for Ezra and Nehemiah to return, and their, their subsequent construction of the city. Of course, even in the Old Testament, the scope of God's activities reached beyond the affairs of the Jews. This angel says, after I tell you what's going to happen, Daniel, I'm going back to my spiritual struggle with the demons who are struggling to control Persia, and I'm going to fight with them. They want Satan's purposes to be done, but I fight for God's purposes to be accomplished. But that isn't the end of the story. Verse 20 goes on to say, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. The angel says, after Persia passes from the stage of human history, after I have fought with the prince of Persia for two more centuries, and Persia goes into the trash heap of history, at least as an empire, then I, along with all of God's forces, will fight a new prince. Satan will designate a prince of Greece. And I, along with all of God's forces, will fight that prince as well. Think about that. The angel here is describing that this spiritual war that goes on between the forces of God and the forces of Satan that influences events on the stage of world history, that is a constant, ongoing reality. In fact, chapter 11 is going to describe many of the struggles that God's people would have during the Greek empire two centuries later that would begin two centuries later. Those struggles, just like the ones in Persia, would be initiated by demonic influence and would require angelic support and defense. 
Listen, folks, it doesn't matter what nation or what empire dominates human history. The conflict between holy angels and Satan and his demons constantly rages. Verse 21, however, I tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Literally, I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. It's the book in which God has written the plan for Israel and the world. It's the history of the world, not like you and I take it in history class where we read what has already transpired. It's the history of the world yet to be fulfilled. Verse 22, yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. This doesn't mean no one else is willing or available to help God's people. It's not like God is running short of helpers. Instead, it emphasizes that God had assigned Michael to assist and protect the nation Israel. Therefore, it would be Michael who supported this angel in this spiritual war on behalf of the nation. Now, the last part of the introduction to this vision comes actually in chapter 11, verse 1. In the first year of Darius the Mede, the angel says, I arose to be an encouragement and a protection for him. Who's him? For Michael. This angel who appears says, In the first year of Darius the Mede, I arose to be an encouragement and a protection for Michael. In chapter 10, we learn that Michael had come to the aid of this angel. Now we learn that this angel had come to the aid of Michael. It happened in the first year of Darius the Mede, about 538 B.C., about two years before these events. During the first year of Darius, what was happening? It was the change of empires. An intense spiritual battle was raging in that time. Since Michael, Israel's prince, was involved, this conflict obviously had to do with the Jewish people. The fall of Babylon... And the decree of Cyrus, the Persian, allowing the Jews to return to Palestine, both took place within the first year of Darius. And what Daniel wants us to see, what the angel wants us to see, is that those events in human history were the outcome of a spiritual war between angelic and demonic beings. I think the primary event that the angel refers to here was Cyrus's decree to allow the Jews to return to the land of Israel. Again, listen to Miller. He writes, in this passage, we get a glimpse of the behind-the-scenes activity that took place in the Persian government. Cyrus releases the Jews, but unknown to the Persian monarch, angelic forces play a part in this decision. Satan and his demons had been bound so that the will of God would be accomplished. Why? Why would this matter so much? Why would the return of the Jewish people of their nation matter so much to Satan? Another author, Archer, writes this, knowing that such a development would lead to the ultimate appearance of the Son of God as the Messiah for God's redeemed, Satan and all his hosts were determined to thwart the renewal of Israel and the deliverance of his people from destruction." What, a, what an amazing account. What incredible insight. 
the, the Lord pulls back the curtain and allows us to see what's really happening in the world around us. Now, I want us to leave the flow through the passage, and I want us to turn for a few minutes to the important spiritual lessons for us, and there are several of them. First of all, and this is obvious, but I just want to remind you of this, angels are real. There is indisputable biblical evidence. They appear throughout biblical history and Scripture. In fact, the Old Testament refers to angels more than a hundred times. The New Testament mentions them over 150 times, including 65 times in Revelation. Thirty-four different biblical authors, including 17 books in the Old Testament and 17 books in the New Testament, refer to angels. And if all of that wasn't enough, our Lord Himself refers to angels as being real. Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all His angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. How many angels are there? Well, Jesus told us that they don't propagate or reproduce, according to Matthew 22. So that means the number of angels is fixed. Creation is done. The number is fixed. Daniel 9.10, we saw that thousands upon thousands of angels were attending the Ancient of Days, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. As I pointed out to you then, myriads of myriads in Aramaic is literally 10,000 times 10,000. 10,000 was the largest number for which ancient peoples had a word. So 10,000 times 10,000 was the square of that number. Literally, a hundred million angels. But there's even more than that, because in Revelation 5.11... John says, I saw around the throne, the number of those around the throne was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. By adding thousands of thousands, John implies that there were more than a hundred million angels. All of those angels, both those that remain holy and those that rebelled, were created. Psalm 148 Verse 2 says, praise Him, all His angels, praise Him, all His hosts. Verse 5, let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded, and they were created. Specifically, they were created by Christ, by the second person of the Trinity. John 1, 3, all things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And Colossians 1, 16 is explicit By Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. That's a reference to the the spiritual beings that are angels and demons. All things have been created through Him and for Him. So, angels are real. Secondly, there are both good and evil angels. Mark 8.38 says, "...the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with the holy angels." And Matthew twenty five forty one says, He will say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been, been prepared for the devil and his angels. Thirdly, by God's permission, these powerful angelic and demonic forces influence human governments and their leaders. It was true of Persia. We've just seen it. It was was true of Greece. We've just seen that. It was true of Israel. We've just seen that in Daniel 10 as well. 
Understand, folks, that's not ancient history. The same spiritual conflict exists today in individual nations like North Korea and Iran. It is equally true of the world's great superpowers, China, Russia, and the U.S. Satan continues his relentless efforts to affect human history by influencing human rulers. And he focuses his efforts, I believe, on the most powerful and influential nations in the world. At the same time, Daniel tells us that holy angels are working to influence the decisions and policies of government toward God's own ends and designs. Now, I know what you're thinking. Don't look at one of our parties and say, demons, and the other party and say, angels. It doesn't work like that. In fact, I suspect, well, I'm not going to go there. (laughs) You get the point. Don't try to assign a political label to the sides. The bottom line is, all of those who are involved in leadership who do not know Christ, most of them are at the disposal of Satan. And God and his holy angels are at work to accomplish his purposes. So understand, these battles are real. Back of all that happens on the stage of human history is an invisible spiritual war waged between angels and demons. Again, listen to Dale Ralph Davis. I love this quote. He says, speaking of Daniel 10, what are we to make of this? One must not sensationalize the text, nor yet mute its testimony. The teaching seems to be that unseen evil powers influence and control the kingdoms and governments of this world in order to inflict harm and havoc on the people of God. By the way, the same spiritual war also explains in part spiritual realities. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians 6.12? He said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The enemies we fight are not people. Get that through your head. He said, our struggle is against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Folks, your enemy is not unbelievers. Your enemy is not a group of unbelievers with a certain cause that's contrary to God and His Word. They are mere pawns in a much larger spiritual war. They are being used. They are being victimized. They are responsible for their choices. But in the end, there's a much larger battle raging. I mean, think of it this way. Why don't people believe when you share the gospel? Well, obviously, each person has his or her own answer to that question to some extent. And the answer in every case, in part, is because of their dead spiritual soul. They can't believe because they're dead to God. But there's another answer as well. And that's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. 
So understand at an, at an international level, at a national level, the, this battle rages. But let me just say it rages at a personal spiritual level as well. We, we don't go where uh, those in the charismatic movement go and, and stake everything on the activity of demons. But understand at the same time, we can't overreact and act like that isn't a reality. Satan tempts both through the world system that he's created and as we can see personal temptation. We see it in the New Testament. We see it with the apostle Peter and others who are tempted by the work of the evil one. So understand your own life is caught up in this battle as well. Number four, in this war, angels constantly act on behalf of and minister to God's people. In fact, Hebrews 1.14 says angels are ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. You realize God has designated not a guard, one guardian angel for you, that's not found anywhere in Scripture, that exact concept, but the idea that God has assigned his angels to care for his people is a biblical concept. They are to render service. What kind of service? Well, generally, they minister to us in whatever way God chooses. The, the Greek word for ministering means they have the responsibility to assist or to help believers. In what ways? Well, their help includes physical protection. In Psalm 91, my angels will bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. In Acts 5.19, an angel released the apostles from prison. In Acts 12, an angel rescued Peter from prison. Wayne Grudem writes in his systematic theology, when a car suddenly swerves from hitting us, when we suddenly find footing to keep from being swept along in a raging river, when we walk unscathed in a dangerous neighborhood, should we not expect that God has sent his angels to protect us? Does not Scripture promise, for he will give his angels charge of you to guard you in all your ways? On their hands they will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against stone. Physical protection, physical provision. In 1 Kings 19, angels provided food for Elijah. Assistance and answers to prayer. We see that here in Daniel. Aid in getting the message, the gospel message to the lost. In Acts 8, to the Ethiopian official, an angel assists. In Acts 10, an angel assists in getting the gospel to Cornelius. They provide encouragement according to Acts 27, verses 23 and 24. So they are ministering spirits. They are involved in this war on our behalf. Number five, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Make sure you don't misinterpret what's going on in Daniel 10. It's not teaching that God is somehow equal to Satan and that Satan and his demons actually have the capacity and power to thwart the will of God. God can choose at any moment to override and overcome the resistance of all the forces of hell to crush them if he chooses. Instead, he allows them to endure for his own purposes, to accomplish his own ends. But he never allows Satan and his demons to go beyond his 
perfect will and control. You see that in Job 1, don't you? Satan has to show up and ask permission to do what he does to Job. So as you reflect on the spiritual war that surrounds us between angels and demons, don't ever forget the words of John the Apostle in 1 John 4, 4. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them Because greater is he who is in you. The Spirit of Christ in you is greater than he who is in the world. That is Satan. The battle is never in question. Martin Luther understood that just beneath the human struggles of the Reformation, there was a great spiritual war that was raging across Europe. And that awareness prompted him at times to do some surprising things. You remember the the famous episode in which he threw an ink bottle across the room at Satan and it splashed against the wall because he was aware that there was more at stake than his fight against the Pope. There was a spiritual war raging. But Luther also knew that this spiritual war, in this spiritual war, it was absolutely impossible for God to lose. And that's why he wrote that great anthem of the Reformation, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing, for still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe, his craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing." We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he, Lord Sabeo, the Lord of armies is his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word, the word of God, above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body, they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. May that be the cry of our hearts and the confidence of our lives. Our God reigns in the person of His Son and always will, and He must win the battle. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part four of his series, The Spiritual War Behind World History. Tom will begin a new series on our next program, and we hope you'll join us then. But Tom, before we close our time together, can you share a few closing thoughts? You know, for me, I think one of the main lessons from this wonderful chapter is to maintain a proper biblical balance, to live in anticipation of what's before us, while not neglecting our Christian duties here and now. 
Of course, we need to long for the day when our Lord will put an end to his enemies, when he will reign forever, and and we're eager for that day to come. At the same time, we have a ministry here now with the gospel until our Lord returns. And so it's absolutely crucial to get connected to a biblical church, to be committed to worshiping and serving our Lord there, and engaged in sharing the gospel with those around us. Even though this world is not our home, we want to serve Christ faithfully until the day he returns. Thanks, Tom. And friend, in a world filled with great uncertainty, God's word and the promises it contains offer wonderful encouragement to believers in Jesus Christ. We pray that the ministry of the Word Unleashed is playing a prominent role to that effect, and we'd love to hear how that works in your life and personal walk with the Lord. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional series from The Word Unleashed. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's the wordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Mm-hmm.